0: Hello and welcome to the Interactive Investor podcast. I'm Becky O'Connor, head of pensions and savings at Interactive Investor, and today I am joined by Dan Mikulskis, who is investment partner at LCP, the actuarial consultancy. Um, we have just produced a joint report. Um, it's fairly depressing. Um, it's called "Is Twelve Percent the New Eight Percent," and it's a look at the impact of lower for longer investment growth rates on defined contribution pension pots. Um, if that sounds too techy already, let me just say that the contents could be really relevant for your retirement outcomes, so it's well worth a read. Um, but we wanted to get together to talk a little bit about why we we produced the report. And also why we think it's really important, if we do say so ourselves. So um, the the whole idea for the report started with um, me looking at my own pension statement and noticing that the investment growth forecast that was quoted on it had come down fairly significantly in a short space of time. So what I had when I started my old job was a forecast of around 4% a year, um, which made my uh, pension pot look, look pretty decent. But a few years later, that annual growth rate had come down to 1%, which was quite shocking to me um, because it was much lower than I had been expecting from annual growth rates from the stock market and my pension fund investments. So this prompted a a chat with Dan and his colleague Steve Webb at LCP, um, mainly because I wanted to get to the bottom of it and I could think of no better person to answer that question than Dan. So... We had a look into this and, um, and we found that there, there have been some um, reductions in the forecasts um, made by the FCA and the Financial Reporting Council who are responsible for the forecast that you see on your pension statements. This has really big um, implications for the amount that we will put into our pensions, hence the report title is 12%, the new 8%. Do we need to start putting... 12% of our salary into our pension pots rather than 8%. So Dan, um, am I alone in seeing lower for longer investment growth forecasts on my pension statement? I don't think I am. Um, and what, what are the implications of lower for longer growth for all of us?
1: Yeah, so I, I work with investors. Um, I have I've, I've worked with various different types of investors, pension schemes, wealth managers for sort of twenty years now. And you know, one big question that everyone asks in, in investing is, you know, Dan, tell me how much my investments are going to earn over the next twenty years. Easy question, right? I mean, that that that's that's my job, isn't it? Tell tell you how much investment is going to grow, and sadly, it isn't. It isn't as easy as that. Obviously, no, no one can tell you exactly how much your investments are going to grow by. Not the FCA, not the FRC, and certainly not not me. But you, we we can estimate. We can got some pretty good historical data, so we can have a pretty good stab at what rates your 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 um your, your assets should grow at. Um, and the, the the big issue in investing is those estimates have been coming down and down and down for about ten years now. Really, ever since the financial crisis in kind of two thousand and eight nine, those estimates of future returns have been coming down. Uh, the tricky thing is, obviously, actual returns have been have been can still been very very good. So I think the difficulty people have had is getting their head around that difference between those two things.
0: So is there is there too much pessimism? Do you think? Do you think in general the forecasts that we see err on the side of caution, just for, you know, to cover to cover their backs really? Um, those those people who are responsible for putting the forecasts on our statements.
1: I think there's a bit of that actually yeah i I think there's risks on both sides of this and i think some of the some of the survey work that you did sort of brought that out that there's a risk that people have far too sort of rosy expectations for what's going to happen but i think that's that risk is well known and that risk is often managed by providers being more and more cautious with their forecasts which creates a risk the other way that if you're so cautious with your forecast that growth looks to be almost nothing then people might well throw up the hands and say what's the point. So I think getting it just right, that middle ground between not too optimistic and not too pessimistic is actually quite a tough um tough line to tread.
0: Um and and to what extent do you think it 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 matters that we have control over our portfolios and the risk levels in our portfolios? I mean, I feel like, you know, there are some things we can control and some things that are beyond us and we just need to work out what those things are. Um and and do as much as we can but uh you know accepting that there are some things that we can't control so make, making higher contributions makes a big difference doesn't it and and maybe increasing the risk profile if you've got enough um enough of a time frame to make up for any losses
1: Well, this is it, isn't it? And that's absolutely right. And and this is all part of a huge shift that's happening towards us all being individual investors and us being individual savers in in a way that that our parents' generation just weren't. So, yeah, the first thing to get to grips with, I think, for a lot of people is that we are all investors um, and we're we're in charge of our our investments now and, and need to think about them as our investments and ask those sort of questions, which previous generations sort of didn't need to do because the system was just um, was, was just sort of slightly different. So, so that, I suppose that's the starting point. And, and then, yeah, it can be strange in the way it's sometimes framed in terms of different risk preferences. I'm not sure that the language around it is always that helpful, you know, languages like conservative, adventurous, can, is, I think it's been shown they can be quite biased in the way they sort of frame people's perceptions of what we're talking about. But what one big issue that I always say, if you go back 10 years. You could earn 4% returns a year by investing in government bonds, GILTS, give you 4% returns a year. That's a pretty, pretty decent level of return. I think anyone would agree. And 10 years ago, you could get that pretty much risk-free from GILTS. Today, you can only get just over 1% from GILTS which is a huge drop in that sort of level. So it make, just makes it so much harder to make those choices around your, your uh, it's all connected to risk tolerance obviously as well, but your choices around how much return do you need, how much risk do you want to take? That whole trade-off has shifted quite a lot in the last 10 years.
0: So, I mean, if, if there are fewer options, you know, fewer options to go for higher growth, um, should we just sort of throw the towel in and just leave it up to wherever our Pension scheme says we should invest for, you know, medium risk, medium growth and just hope for the best.
1: Well, I, I, I'm not so defeatist as that. I I wouldn't I would um, I, I wouldn't encourage anyone to sort of throw in the towel and hope for the best. I, I, I think what we were trying to say in the report was that um, everyone needs to view themselves as an investor and to get under the bonnet of what's going on in these funds. Um, the industry doesn't help people all the time with the amount of jargon, does it, that's in there. But I think it is possible to get a sense of what's in these funds. And um, even as an uninformed am- amateur, take a view on what you want to be in there. I, I do think that we, we don't want a world where everyone goes for a medium-risk, medium-option fund. I think that's that wouldn't be quite right. For some people earlier in their career, they should be going for the highest growth they can and probably should be happy taking um, taking a little bit more risk. And um, that's one of the issues with framing it all in terms of risk, I, I, I suppose. But I, I think taking, t- taking an active um, view on what's in there and trying to position yourself from, from where you are in your career is um, quite a sensible way to approach it.
0: I this is this is one of the things, isn't it? It's going to affect younger workers potentially more, um, if they're if this lower for longer growth scenario does play out, because the difference in the pension pots that they can expect if putting the same amount in as somebody who started a decade earlier um, is really significant. Um, so we found in the report that. Um, you'd need to put half as much in again. But that's because you would you would lose half as much from your pension pot if you stuck at stuck at those original contribution levels. So, I, you know, thinking through the implications for younger people, um, uh, it's hard because you may be on a lower salary. So you're thinking, well, I can't afford those extra contributions. You've got other things going on, like, you know, maybe you're saving to buy your first home. And it makes it really hard to put pensions at the top of your priority list um, but as you say um, that's the time when you can take more risk potentially because you have more time um, what to see to see that grow so it does present a real challenge for, for younger workers in particular who may feel that their their outgoings are you know too high to increase their contributions um, maybe maybe the first step would be to look at whether their pension is invested in the right risk profile um given where they are in their career um and consider whether or not they can take on more risk but as you say you know as we're talking about this i can hear myself saying the word risk 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 um and as a as a you know somebody who was you know was a younger worker once i'd be really put off by that word because i'm thinking this is my life savings the last thing i want to do is put that at risk Um, So I wonder if, you know, what, what other word could we come up with besides risk? Higher growth expectations, maybe something like that.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's a best way of framing it, but I, I suppose the reluctance to frame it that way is is providers are just worried about that being um pers- you know they they're worried about overpromising I think all sort of um and, and there's obviously some regulations they have to meet as well. So so yeah, I, I feel a better framing could could, could help, but yes, I, it is it is tough for for younger workers. I suppose the last thing you're thinking about at the start of your career is your retirement. Um but but yeah, I suppose I'd say two things. I mean so, something is better than nothing. You know, auto enrollment has been great. It's got a lot more people involved getting some contributions in there is a lot better than nothing. you got it set up, you got it there, so that's good. Um, taking an active view on what you're investing in, I think, is a really good second step to try and, you know, ensure that you are getting as much growth as you can sort of in there. And then I suppose re- just revisiting that obvious career milestones, whether that's, I don't know, when you hit your 25th birthday, 30th birthday, once you bought a house sort of thing, when you get married. You know, there's there are various triggers, aren't there, just to have a general look at things um, and, and, and see if you can sort of increase the contribution rate a little bit
0: thinking about um switching to a portfolio that has more equities in it so when we think of um increasing the growth prospects of your pension we think um equities tend to um outperform over the long term um it, does the lower for longer thing affect equities too have the returns come down uh, the forecast returns come down for equities too
1: uh, yes, they have. The forecast returns for equities have come down. Um, but equities are still definitely the place to go to for for growth. In fact, even more so because the returns available on bonds right now are, are really, really low. Um, and so certainly for people earlier in their careers, I, I, I'd be saying you, know, you should be looking to get most of your fund invested in equities if you can. Um, but the key thing I, I would say there is to make sure that's really global, um, that there's been this uh, various degrees of bias towards UK um, stocks, UK equities in the past, and um, I, I would really say you want to be as global as you can, including emerging markets and inclu- including everything in there.
0: To um, follow a cliche, I suppose, of assuming that younger workers are more interested in ESG and sustainability, which I think is I think is broadly correct. Um, If you were to invest your pension sustainably, as many people want to, does that mean that you could expect lower growth still for making that decision, do you think?
1: No, I don't think so. I think um, that was sort of slightly outdated thinking now. I think that was probably where the thinking was maybe 10, maybe even five years ago. That's sort of where people were. But I think that that's sort of been um, kind of disproven, really, just because people realize that that, 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 that sustainable sort of funds and sustainable ways of investing don't necessarily constrain you that much um, and actually do do better align you with the future in a lot of ways. So I don't think people should start with the expectation that that's going, going to, to to lower their returns. And the difficulty people face who want to do that, I think is just a plethora of funds and options that are available are quite hard to sort through sometimes.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad you said that. Um, my my passion is
1: invested
0: <laughs> <less> sustainably. <laughs> but it's just one of those things that sort of, you know, People might still, even though it is fairly outdated and there's plenty of evidence that you don't have to take a hit on returns. It's that lingering doubt, I think, still in the back of people's minds sometimes. So when you're um, trying to work out what your pension pot is going to be worth, um, it's obviously, you know, the whole report is about how difficult that is and we don't have crystal balls. And even even the forecast that were given on our pension statements may not be correct. Um, how on earth do we plan? I mean, you know, how do you know when you're going to be able to finish paying off your mortgage, for instance, if you don't know how much retirement income you're going to get when you start drawing your pension? The implications for retirement planning are really significant and um, there are, thankfully, loads of great tools on the internet that you can use, like pension calculators, um, which provide one, the Money and Pensions Advice Service provides one. Um, but... When you use the little sliders, how do you know what what percentage you should be looking at in this world of, you know, not being able to uh, predict the future?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're at the start of a new world in terms of the number of people who are going to be asking those sort of questions over the next decade. So I think it's going to be just such an interesting area to be involved in as as, as literally millions of people are, are wrestling with these sort of questions. Um, so no, I think first point to say is that there's there's a really clear role for, for an IFA, for a financial advisor there in, in guiding lots of people um, into some, some, some of these points, but, but also the, the number of people that are going to need this sort of advice is probably way bigger than the current number of IFAs could possibly sort of um deal with in, in in some ways so that there is a real need for other kind of solutions as well um and like you say that there are various tools that are available i think hopefully we'll see more we'll see them better explained we'll see people becoming more sort of familiar with them and more consistency in terms of how the sort of the inputs are managed so people can, can you know can try their best to sort of um to have a stab at these questions which are which are really tough questions and and difficult to um to to do but um sorry i I kind of forgot your question there that was a bit of a bit of a waffle how do we
0: how do we know which which percentage to pick when we're using the sliders so i you know do i pick two percent because i'm a bit risk averse and i think stock markets aren't going to grow very much for the next 30 years do i pick four percent and given the difference between the two You know, how how on earth
1: do I plan? Uh, I mean, that's that's the difficulty of investing in a nutshell. The the future returns, the difference in future returns is massive, and we just don't know it with any confidence. But we can do a bit better than nothing, I think, on that on that sense. So some of the things we said in the report. So this first point we tried. It sounds very um, geeky, doesn't it? But it's so important to understand whether we're talking about real returns or whether we're talking about what we call nominal returns. So, and that's the first thing I think if people take one thing away, that would be useful. You know, real returns is returns over and above inflation. The inflation target in the UK is about 2% CPI um, or nominal returns is just the return, you know, all of it. If something goes up by five percent. That's a nominal return, sort of thing. So the, the difference between those two numbers is obviously inflation. So, so, and so, it's just a, a technicality, but it does matter because the numbers are sort of, um, sort of quite different. So, if we work in in terms of sort of nominal returns, just how much something is is going up by each year. Then, then sort of based on history and a good guide to the future then something in the realm of sort of five six seven percent a year that's that's sort of the range of where most forecasters are i think most people would say that's sort of a reasonable range it's consistent with what um uh, with what equities and stocks have done historically and so if you're thinking that inflation is also going to be about two percent then that gives you a range for your real returns of sort of between three and five percent. So I, th- I think that's a pretty sensible range. I think if you're going lower than the bottom end of that, you're maybe being a bit too pessimistic. Lots of evidence that that um, stock markets um, can sort of do that over the long term. Whereas any more than the top of that range, I would start to be thinking, well, that's um, that's maybe pinning your hopes on a little bit too much of an optimistic outcome.
0: I mean, that may be because people have enjoyed, you know, in in some cases, double digit returns. And so there's a sort of legacy issue there of higher expectations because that has, you know, older workers, certainly they have enjoyed that in the past. And we found um, when we were doing the research for the report that um, one in eight um, investors who answered an interactive investor poll thought that um, 10% or more, a year for the next 30 years from equities was about right. And that, you know, that that is concerning potentially because, um, well, it just suggests that many people may be disappointed um, and they may have, they may have got that 20, 30 years ago. Um, but it's just that, you know, I suppose the, the conclusion would be that you would need to continually review what's happening in the market. Um, And not just take it as read that whatever you had in the past will repeat itself. History doesn't always repeat itself, does it?
1: Yeah, that's it. Exactly. I mean, it doesn't surprise me there are people that have those sort of expectations. You know, market returns have been that high various times. I I would just say it's probably not um, the best bet to sort of expect that in the future. It's probably best to sort of expect something a little bit lower. If you get that, then great. Um, But you're right, there's no real solution to that other than to try and keep it under review every few years or whatever, and try and give yourself various areas of flexibility that you can change, whether that's Your contribution level, how long you're working, and other other things in the mix. It's nice to know how all those things need to interact.
0: And we should say that you know, even in a a lower for longer scenario, um, pensions compared with a savings account is obviously still far more promising in terms of the returns that you can expect. Not just from the uh, growth in the investment growth, but also you know tax relief and that kind of thing. But Going back to the point on inflation, um, and we do make this point in the report, actually, if you look at savings accounts, the rates of interest um, do not account for inflation. So you can't compare them with the rates of return quoted on your pension forecast, which typically do take into account inflation. So um, <laughs> if you're thinking, well, I'm just going you know, to put it in savings because it sounds like my pension isn't going to deliver the returns I need that um, that is not necessarily the conclusion you want to draw because they're not comparable. And um, I mean, after inflation, savings would actually deliver a, a negative minus number at, at the moment. In most cases, I'm yeah, not aware exactly. of a single savings account that will beat inflation um, as things stand at the moment. So it's just, yeah, like no,
1: absolutely. Really good point. I mean, it's one of the issues with sla- with trying to sound a slightly cautious note in the report like we have, there's the there's the worry that it'll be interpreted too negatively because it's true the future returns are probably lower, but pensions have never been more relevant, have never been a sort of a better idea for that exact reason, because um, long-term type investments are the one place you can go to sort of grow your, grow your assets. And you're right, the, the tax benefit is sort of even more relevant if returns are going to be smaller. So yes, it would be the worst outcome if people turned away from pensions towards savings accounts, which are not going to um, help them keep up with inflation.
0: Totally, and you get the employer contribution from your pension as well. They don't they don't pay into your savings account for you, um, sadly. Um, so, um, besides inflation um, and investment growth, there's also the impact of charges, which we do talk about in the report. And um, Dan, you put together a lovely graph on the expense ratio and um, for different um, pension portfolios. And um, clearly, if if you're experiencing lower investment growth, your charges. Um, remain roughly the same, then um, you, you're going to get less out of that pot, aren't you? Um, it's going to be eaten away more by charges.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And charges are a really big issue in when it comes to investing. You know, I think there's sort of the, the, the perception that they can be viewed as just some, something around the edges, and, and they're really not. If, you, if you're not careful, charges can eat up a really Big proportion of your returns a really disproportionate amount i um, think there's again there's all sorts of behavioral reasons why the way charges are expressed seem smaller to people than they often are because they look like small fractions of a percentage point or something and people just kind of think oh it's almost nothing isn't it it's fine whereas um yeah, our, our point was, especially with returns lower, your investment charges could be eating up a really big proportion. So if you do one thing, it's trying to make sure your charges are, are really are as low as possible. Um, and that, that, that there's there's been a lot of developments, shall we say, in the investment space. Um, so there's quite a wide range now of, of different charges levels. And it's not always guaranteed you'll be on the most competitive uh, rate. So there's definitely work that people can do to say, hang on, am I on the right rate? charge rate for the sort of um, investment product i'm in
0: totally and it does depend a lot on the pot size that you have as well we can talk about um flat fees um which is interactive investors thing versus percentage fees on larger pot sizes but that that is something um that will make a big difference um when you're thinking about which platform is right for you Um so I've got one more question, which is the hardest question, so I've saved it to last. Um does does all this mean then now we're in a defined contribution world, millions of people are auto-enrolled, um, we don't have defined benefit final salary schemes so much these days, where you just, you know, you got what you were given and it's generally pretty generous. Um so you didn't have you didn't have to have much input into your pension if you had a defined benefit pension that was quite generous that it you know, that the whole that putting together this report has really highlighted for me that the individual responsibility has increased so much and it feels like now pensions are so much more about judgment than luck in the in the D B world. It felt more like, you know, you were lucky, you got a decent pension, you didn't have much to do with it, you just got a job and your employer happened to be one that offered a, a generous defined benefit pension or not, good luck or bad luck. Now I feel like there are more options, we have greater control, we can increase our contributions, we can change our risk profile, we can do more things that require us to use our judgment. So do you think pensions are now more judgment than luck or do you think it's still a bit of both?
1: I think you're right. We're in a new world, and it's a new world of individual responsibility for for, for pensions. And and I'm I'm sort of an optimist. I, I choose to take a positive view of these things. You know, you'll see, you'll see plenty of very negative takes on this that sort of say, oh, we're setting up for a whole generation retiring on um, insufficient incomes, and and that, that that may well be the case. I I don't know, but I. I to choose to interpret the individual responsibility positively um, that we, we can each take more responsibility each consider ourselves to be an investor um, and there's two examples of that I, I spent a few years working living and working in australia where they're at a slightly slightly further ahead on a similar system and there there is a bit more of a culture of um thinking a bit harder about about your pension about your superannuation when you get a job and um comparing funds and, and that sort of thing so i i feel there's there's a positive future there for how people take responsibility for their pension think about it a bit more talk about it a bit more i mean it's sort of you know um god forbid we should actually chat about it and find it to be something uh, you know worth speaking to our friends about you know
0: one day i live in hope dan but maybe maybe yeah. this report will will kick start that conversation down the pub <laughs> maybe, you never maybe. know i've got my copy i am going to the pub later maybe i should take it with me show my friends <laughs> Um, thank you so much. Um, I would urge anyone who's listened to the podcast to please read the report um, and um, and let us know what you think. Um, the link should be on the page that you have accessed this podcast from.